Welcome to our third segment of this afternoon's program. It is Sunday, the 14th of November, 2021. It is now, what time is it? 2.24 in the studio. Uh, on this segment, uh, we have invited our guests to share their thoughts with us about the last 40 years in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, we'll be asking the question, how has the country succeeded in improving itself over time? Um, and improving itself rather over the last 40 years uh how has it uh, not done so in some cases uh, where it has had the opportunity to maximize uh, its development where have we fallen down uh, is what we'll be talking about as well as uh, what are some of our achievements uh, our guests of course are encouraged to be as frank as they wish and to share with us whatever changes they feel are needed as the nation goes forward uh, so our, our question overall is what have we achieved and what have we not achieved over the last 40 years? Of course, this is in recognition, as I said, of our uh, 40 years of independence since 1981. Uh, joining our panel for this discussion, we are happy to have with us uh, Dr. James Knight. Uh, he is a health consultant in the Ministry of Tourism. He's uh, also a former editor of the Outlet newspaper. Uh, he's joined us uh, many times in the past to discuss affairs in Antigua and Barbuda uh, from a historical point of view. Uh, we're happy to have him with us once again. Uh, Dr. James Knight, um, good afternoon and how are you doing? Yes, good afternoon. As to how I'm doing, you might hear me sniffle or clear my throat from time to time, but I decided that I would be on the program nevertheless. And Thank you very much for the invitation. Of course. Uh, we also joined by Mr. Hiram Ford. Uh, Mr. Hiram Ford is currently the head of the School of Management, Sciences and Technology at the University of the West Indies Five Islands Campus. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Hiram Ford. How are you doing? I'm fine, Kieran, and just a slight correction. Uh, it's the School of Business and Management. There's been a name change over the last year or so. No problem. <coughs> School of Business and Management. Let me just take note of it. Right. Um, well, uh, Mr. Ford, I wonder if I could begin with you. Um, 40 years of independence is very significant uh, for Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, there are many countries that uh, have been independent uh, for fewer years. There are many countries that have been independent for uh, more years. Uh, but for us, 40 is significant. Um, and it's a time to look back and ask where we have come from and what we have achieved. Um, so my question, I suppose my opening question is... After 40 years of independence in Antigua and Barbuda, um, how do you feel about the state of the country today? Kieran, I believe uh, the, the pathway towards independence of any country, and in particular um, small developing countries, certainly is a journey that perhaps never ends. And I think when one speaks about development, uh, there is a, a huge uh, connotation of the economic status within the country and certainly within the region where that country finds itself. I think overall, we can fairly say that over the last 40 years, uh, the country would have had some achievements um, in terms of its overall national development. I think when one thinks about uh, true independence, one immediately focuses on issues of provision of education, provision of health care, provision of one's um, social programs, and um, the extent to which uh, you can uh, fund or perhaps make life better for the vulnerable within our societies, and the extent to which you can manage those things well I think gives a fair indication one of the standard living in the country 
um, in terms of the provision of those things. I would, ha I would hasten to add, though, that whether one comes from a developed country or developing country, that there's also always going to be a significant challenge in terms of the provision of healthcare, the provision of education, and indeed those very social programs that I mentioned. Clearly, uh, the issue at hand has to be the economics. Uh, we have looked at our budget over the last couple of years, and we have seen um, perhaps the lion's share going to education, and that may be as a result of um, the government of the day looking at development of the human capital as that enabling um, feature of one's country that has the potential to transform the country in all sectors. But I'll just pause here, uh, as I, I suspect that you will delve deeper into those issues. But that would be my opening salvo of the moment. And Dr. James Knight, how would you follow, follow on from that? Just to touch on the question of your impressions of where we've come in 40 years, just initial impressions. Well, I would say in basically in terms of the human development index um we are doing um pretty well um though that is usually measured by the 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 the, the, the health of a country the the longevity etc um the is judged by the well there's the knowledge aspect of it which is um the expected years of schooling right the mean years of schooling that that um you know each person has and um the standard of living the basic um level of salary and so forth and you know we are considered middle income people um in this country and um we we do have we have seen the great improvement in in terms of healthcare and and the longevity i think we have such a high percentage of people living to 100 and over these days it's amazing and then, of course, there's a question of the universal schooling and, and, and secondary education and all that. I mean, if I compare it with, well, it's more than 40 years ago, but I remember in 1966, I was one of, you know, 100 or more boys from primary, government primary school, sitting an exam up at the Antigua Grammar School, um, the then senior school grammar school student cutie benjamin was the sole invigilator for that exam and it was for the jc's to give a scholarship to one of us to attend the antigua grammar school so you can understand where we have come from that to where we are today but then listening to your the program this afternoon the first two segments which were extremely interesting one sees how everything is so connected because when one is discussing whether to vaccinate as to whether the students will get to do their subjects and the rest of it, one understands that this is not just a question of whether people will do some CSEC exams. You're looking at a whole question of education, which includes how we approach and resolve, you know, national questions of the collective national interest. And that goes right down to our approach therefore towards the environment and development and what part we pursue to development and so forth which comes right down to what we're discussing now so all these things are interrelated i mean in terms of you know the the the, the relevance of this to the, the question of independence i mean i come out of the the aclm 
that has been discussing and publishing. We have published not only election manifestos, but we have had many special publications over more than two decades pointing out our views as to how things could be done alternatively in this country, even in terms of, of energy and so forth. The ACLM had a, a collective um, farming project at Cook's and, and that was using wind energy for, for farming and for, for the production of plastic water tanks, just like, you know, these big imported ones we see these days. And um, so it is not that alternative ideas have not been uh, presented in this country in terms of, of development that is environmentally friendly and that was more in keeping with what we need uh, to build a national economy mm -hmm. and ideas about how education could be organized so as to to meet that that sort, sort of development this is this is a period we call the leonard tim hector memorial period um here because it's between the 12th of november when he died in 2002 and and november 24th when he was born in 1942 and I'm going to quote what he said in an interview with, the, you know, Dr. Hines some time ago about on the question of independence and, and development. He said, the question that we came to recognize is that political independence had come to some territories in the Caribbean, but it was more sham than substance. And we had taken over the positions vacated by the colonials, but we continued to do more or less the same thing. The structure of the economy remained the same. The structure of the society remained the same. The relation of people to things, that is, to things productive, remained the same. And there was no fundamental change. So one or two people found a little mobility by virtue of education. But other than that, things were static. So the, the thing was now how to transform these economies and to transform these societies and but i must say there's a slight difference in that we have may have taken over these colonial um positions and all that and the basic structure of the society remains the same but what one is recognizing unfortunately one has to say that because there were there had to be some accountability to the the, the colonial power that in in areas of the public service etc there was a greater discipline and, and a greater awareness of accountability at that time. And this is something that we need for ourselves if we are to advance. Let me, let me, we, let me bring back in um, Mr. Hiram Ford. Um, and I, I, and I, I will say, I, I recall um, reading uh, some commentary from uh, Tim Hector where he, he uh, on politics specifically, said Antigua at the time was in a state of pre-politics uh, as opposed to... Um, modern liberal politics. But uh, Mr. Hiram Ford, I want to ask you on that question of development and our approach to development, and you mentioned economic aspects earlier. Um, hosting this program over the last couple of months uh, and, and sort of observing affairs in Antigua and Barbuda, um, you know, you, you, you take note of the fact that the legacy of uh, colonialism, the legacy of underdeveloped uh, poor communities that were traditionally uh, dispossessed of land, dispossessed of, 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 of any significant business ownership, um, and 
the communities that were the most lagging in terms of educational attainment and, and literacy and so on. We still have those uh, communities. Obviously, they've modernized and, 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 and been somewhat brought up to the modern day, but we still have that legacy of, of, of poverty. Uh, our approach to economic development, I feel, has been one that has, of course, relied on foreign direct investment uh, in order to generate industries uh, by which we can have employment. Um, to what extent do you think that has been successful? Do you agree with, 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 with my analysis of that? And to what extent do you think it's been successful? Well, well, I, I, I don't agree that we should be relying on, on foreign direct investment only. Um, at some sometime in my, in my past life, I served as the uh, the director of, uh, not the director, but the chairman of the Antigua and Barbuda Standards Council. And I remember um, that there was a very startling statistic, maybe about six, seven years ago, where it pointed to the fact that 90% of the world's businesses uh, were small business. And uh, that speaks volumes to me because it is the amalgam of small businesses that really can really transform an economy. But my earlier comment really, really points to the fact that outside of uh, tourism being our main, main, main industry and a driver, and pretty much a lot of these foreign direct um, investments have been Around, built around um, tourism and large tourism projects. Uh, I want to just make a quote um, which uh, uh, was made by Sir Arthur Lewis um, way back, uh, one of the foremost developmental economists um, in the world and a former um, a, a Nobel, Nobel laureate, where he posited the view that um, we must train every talent we possess or condemn ourselves um, to poverty. And he was pointing to the view of uh, the transformative effect of higher education in particular as uh, the, one of the main avenues for building the human capital, building capacity that has the potential to transform other sectors within the economy and, and therefore start making attempts to alleviate, reduce, and militate against poverty. And, and so over the last, shall I say, 30, 40 years, and we have seen the transformation, for example, of the Barbados economy. And I use Barbados because Barbados is roughly the same size as Antigua and Barbuda. And the effect of Barbados building a university in 1968 and the transformative effect it has had in their society. And fast forward now that, um, to 2019, where we have a university campus in Antigua and Barbuda. Now, all of these initiatives um, sit well with the World Bank um, last educational strategy 2020 where they posited the view that higher education can be a powerful engine for building a stronger society ending extreme poverty and boosting 
um, shared prosperity. So there is this notion, certainly uh, within the Caribbean region and in small island developing states, as a thrust of trying to enhance the higher education landscape with a view of developing the human capital that can then impact on one society, providing that transformative effect, not only on education, but also the other sectors. So I think um, we certainly can rely on um, foreign direct investment, but I don't think we can put all our heads in that basket. And we really have to start to look in-house at the national level in terms of building our agricultural sector, for example, building the tourism sector, and really fostering and engendering a spirit uh, within the, um, shall I say, um, small businesses in country. And together that amalgam can really provide a, a, a viable and uh, provide the necessary value added, added that one may want in the country alongside the initiatives for foreign direct investment. Let me ask, uh, let me ask Dr. James Knight. Dr. Knight, whether, um, well, to what extent do you think that uh, education and higher education um, has been a transformative uh, element in our, in our society since 1981? Because a lot of people, uh, and I'll say it in particular for my own generation, younger people um, can tend not to realize just how uh, severely underdeveloped um, the country was uh, years gone back, years gone back, because we weren't around. So, you know, stories that, that persons from an older generation could tell about, you know, the, the, the level of enrollment, the level of literacy, what people used to do for work and food. Um, you know, decades later, those are not things which uh, somebody uh, from my generation can always bring to mind. And so it affects how we may perceive uh, the, the extent and the pace of our progress. Um, but I would ask you, to what extent has education, in your view, been a transformative element uh, since, uh, well, I shouldn't say but in the last 40 years, Dr. Knight? Well, the education certainly has been um, a transformative element from a material point of view, and that is a material sophistication and a greater level of comfort and all that that people do have because when we're no longer the illiterate or semi-literate cane cutters and factory workers and the rest of it and um, then came the hotel industry replacing that when most people had certainly primary school education and a small amount had secondary education when i went to princess margaret school in 1967 it was still that one won a scholarship to go to the, you know, the, the government primary school. Now, you know, everybody walks through um, private sector to secondary school without any problem. So there's all that edu education at that level. As I said, that's part of the, the, the human development index that we can look at and see great improvement along with the longevity and the, the, the standard of living and all that. But in terms of transforming the nature of the economy and the society, the development of the country, that has not taken place. And so we st we're still dependent on the whims of outside investors. And this is why we're not even controlling the environmental damage, because we're depending on the whims of these people from outside for, for some sort of economic um, advancement, which is a failure, therefore, of the, the, the education. Because as I see, primary school is supposed to be the, 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 that 
elementary foundation which is built for secondary education. And when you get to secondary school, that is where you add the substance and the structure on which young people are expected to build their imagination. The imagination that is going to lead them to creative, productive, and fulfilling careers, which will impact positively on the country's development. Now, I want to show you an example. And I go back to the ACLM from which I come, because people must recognize it's not that there has been a lack of ideas can in I just, this country. Um, can I just jump in? I want to just jump in, just to let our guests know uh, the acronym ACLM, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it's um, the Antigua Caribbean the Liberation Antigua Movement. Antigua Caribbean Liberation Movement. I just wanted to put yes. that out there for our guests. And, and people must recognize that there are people and organizations that have been saying things and doing things in this country to demonstrate an alternative path. As I said, we not only spoke, we had alternative energy, functioning on agricultural projects, etc. Now, when the ACLM supposedly became a part of a coalition called the UPP, and um, we took certain ideas over there. Um, the idea of the, the Social and Economic Commission came from, from us. That is, the, the, we took the idea, well, the name was taken, but I don't think the idea was understood. And then there, is a, there are two questions, school meal and school uniforms. The idea behind the school meal was not, to, was not in the first place lunch. In the first place, it was for breakfast. And teachers would tell you now that their students, their puke children who come to school, rubbing their bellies all morning, waiting for the lunch. So they're distracted until the lunch. The idea was to have a good breakfast before you go in to school. Now, that other idea, that we thought would have been a fillip to the agricultural industry, the breakfast and then the lunch. And, so that, and then you build that on training people on a healthy diet from, from the age of to school age and on, and on consuming what's produced locally. And so you build the agricultural sector and also to facilitate to accommodate that and right within the schools the agricultural programs in the school would move towards that and of course the national impact that that would have the other idea which was a developmental idea was the school uniforms the people all over this country know how to sew and also can learn how to sew but it wasn't just a matter of sewing if you establish if the government supported productive production units around the various areas of the country to produce uniforms, then you would have a situation where you could move towards a national uniforms industry. Everybody in Antigua from preschool right up wears uniforms. Everybody is wearing uniforms in Antigua. And so there is more people are going to the United States to buy uniforms for security companies and all sorts of people, which should not be necessary. Now, it should have been that these productive units were set up to the assistance, the backing of government, as was suggested by the people who were interested in doing so. The government could bring in containers with the bulk buttons and zippers and what's not, and so that they would be at a reduced cost for people to, to then use in the various productive units. Now, that would have led not just to 
when you look at the education for that, because you have people doing principle of business, principle of accounts, office procedures, um, um, yeah, the electronic document management, all sorts of other things in school. So what are you doing that for if you're not going to apply that to something? And so you had the basis, people have studied management and so forth. So you have all the management, the marketing and everything, plus the production, and you put people to practice in what you are training them to do and to get even more advanced training in those aspects. Mm. And there you have indigenous industry, people branching out and going privately to make their own clothes, all these young people who are interested in fashion and design and so on, and would be able to produce a, a certain amount of things locally. And that's how you build um, national economy. So this is the, the whole question and so i'm that's why i'm saying everything was related today in this this program because you have the question of education looking at it what is meant for it's not just people going into csec how you resolve national problems and how vaccination comes into that okay. how do you deal with the environment when you're dealing with your your development how do you prepare people for development that is friendly to their own environment and and that's the the whole question so there you go right away that to have a major impact on development in this country you have had two simple things a school meal program leading to agriculture and perhaps agro-industry and you would have had the, the uniform program leading to massive production of uniforms and you know and sportswear and so forth and and, and backpacks and all the things that that students and and other people use and this is this mm -hmm. is the line of development that we have failed to pursue. Mm -hmm. the, the preparation of our students, instead of preparing them and forcing them all to be academics to try to pass 25 subjects and get 17 ones, otherwise they drop out and, and so nothing. You know, that, has, that is the problem. That's supposed to be preparation for the use of their imagination, their productivity, and their interest in being successful people hmm. let, me, let that, me let me bring back that would drive mm -hmm. correct development and we would not be relying yes. on people who want to come mm -hmm. and damage the environment for mm -hmm. a quick buck. let me let me bring back in uh, mr hiram ford mr ford i just want to ask you whether or not um something that occurred to me in the course of, of this conversation whether or not you think that as a, as a nation over time perhaps we have become um well i shouldn't say maybe we haven't become but are we too dependent on uh, our public sector or government or, or, or political process for um for economic development for for for, for leadership in, in certain aspects and certain respects to get certain things done um and so we are in a sense limited to whatever the administration of the day may be interested uh, in doing uh, what, what do you think about that do you agree at all well i think i think it has to be a balanced um, partnership between um, public sector driven initiatives and also the private sector but certainly the private sector must see a potential benefit in, in the investments and and maybe sadly the expectation may be that the government must drive everything and so um from on the private sector side uh there's somewhat of a malaise in that regard in fact some people have argued that private sector in small small island countries uh, may 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 appear to be moribund since uh the natural expectation is that the government must 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 drive the, the, the all the processes how do we change that but, but surely 
Hello? Oh, so how do we change I didn't that? Hear that? How do we change that? How do we change that? Do well, it has to be it, it, it has to be a process of dialogue, engagement with private sector. And one of the things I think that's particularly important in the milieu we find ourselves right now with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, where certainly uh, public finance um, have dropped considerably. And with the suppression of commercial activity, it has seriously affected uh, the private sector as well. And surely there has to be some dialogue in terms of having a conversation between the private and public sector so that roles can be severely, um, seriously defined in terms of, um, you know, carving out uh, possible revenue streams and uh, maybe even some private public partnerships that really have the potential to generate the, the sort of um, revenues that you would expect. Because all of the things that we have spoken about uh, rely on um, revenue generation, rely on money to really drive the process. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic certainly has shown that first and foremost is a public health issue. But notwithstanding all of that, it has impact on, on the economics within the country in a severe way. And so I would want to suggest that there needs to be a greater conversation going on with private sector public sector in terms of forging perhaps initiatives that may be driven solely by the private sector as well as some partnership arrangements between the public and private sectors mm. um, and i would ask you also mr ford i mean on the on the question of how we've managed our, our sort of physical development um again i would i would say that um sometimes we can underestimate the extent to which uh, we inherited a, a situation which uh, was underdeveloped in terms of uh, a, a lack of planning uh, uh, where the majority of people live, the majority of peasantry, if we're going decades and decades and decades back, uh, that these aren't planned areas. These are, are, are areas for workers, uh, poor persons who, um, as I think Dr. James Knight uh, would have pointed out, factory workers, sugar workers. And so we have a history of uh, unplanned uh, uh, urban and municipal development, um, substandard housing, and so nowadays we deal with the problems of, uh, you know, the, the 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 infrastructure is not there, the road, the space, the setbacks, the the, the, the delineation between yards, the the the, the modern systems of. Uh, you know who owns what land and and where the the, the demarcation is, uh, whether or not there's uh, utilities, water, and so on buried. All of that uh, is a legacy that we've inherited. But we have been in charge of our own development for forty years. Uh, I, I mean, I do recall there was a, a lady who used to work at Observer, Carol. Uh, I think she was from the United States, and she um, she and I were driving up Old Palm Road. This was some years ago, uh, but we were driving up Old Palm Road, um, and she just out of the blue asked me why there's a massive trench gutter running up Old Palm Road. And I paused for a while and I, I could not answer the question because it had been there all my life. It's something totally normal to me, but it was not normal to her. And so she found that to be utterly peculiar. And so then I began to wonder to myself, wow, I don't find this peculiar at all because it's been there for my entire life. But um, the question of, of how we've managed our, our, our physical space and it's its 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 cleanliness its 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 layout its structure um are you satisfied on those lines and, and that's something perhaps we have not um managed very well and i would want to suggest that um very often we do we engage in macro planning so we think at the macro level and perforce you for you must look at um the concomitant cost of thinking on the macro level 
and sometimes that cost, that overall cost when you think macro, uh, seems so daunting that invariably it's shelved and the conversation goes away, rather than to break down that macro plan into several sequenced uh, micro plans, where if you had engaged in it, say, 10 years ago when the conversation came about, you probably would be well underway. One of my pet peeves really is in walking through St. John's sometimes. You walk in on High Street and you have this smell. I was on Market Street of sewage. I nearly died. Now, we've been, we've been talking for years. I mean, I started secondary school in 1968 at the Grammar School. And uh, even back then, in the early 70s, mid-70s, the conversation about having a sewage system in St. John's was was heavily debated uh but we are yet to have uh, 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 such a system um and clearly that's a health issue now i would want to suggest too that perhaps the biggest news around small developing states is that 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 thing called debt and very often when we find ourselves in a dilemma we try to borrow out of debt but that debt never goes away and you have to address it while at the same time run the country and try to manage the country well. So yes, uh, there are a number of issues that still needs um, to be addressed. I pointed to those four areas of education, our health systems and our social and um, welfare programs, which clearly has the greatest potential to impact on people's daily lives so that you can truly assess that you are deriving some benefit from the from the particular country uh, we contrast that with with um some some other countries uh for example the scandinavian countries that pretty much and, and dr dr knight mentioned it about the human development index and in that regard we haven't done too badly but as i said earlier things come at a cost and in those countries they have a very heavy tax system very heavy tax system that that helps to provide the kinds of amenities that citizens deserve, demand, and often get. And so we really have to perhaps reorient, reorient ourselves towards um, a new position, whereby we need to start thinking at the macro level. We need to start breaking down the, the macro levels into several little micro projects in a sequence fashion. And address those core issues because tourism being our, our main industry, and I'm not just saying this for 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 the tourists' benefit, but certainly for the overall citizenry in the country and the overall national development of the country, it certainly is not a pleasant thing to be walking through St. John's and you 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 have some foul smells in in the very drainage that you alluded to yeah. going up old palm road yeah. uh, uh, dr james knight we're just about out of time for this oh. segment i want to give you the opportunity for the final word um and i and i would ask you you know uh, maybe you could close off on the issue of, of how you feel about how we've progressed in terms of our psyche as a as a as, a, as, a, as an independent people as a mostly uh a black independent people um uh, your last words well well, well no. Psyche, we're not independent. We're very dependent on everything that is from overseas and all the rest of it. And the question of the, 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 the private sector and private individuals, remember, people remember a lot of money 
millions of people lost with the British American um, crash, mm -hmm. you think? Mm -hmm. Because people proud to put their money there to get some percentage without running the risk of doing business. But it's not that the capital isn't there. So it is that I think is necessary for governments back in. They say, look, go ahead and do this thing. We are behind you. We are your insurance, right? And get things done. Because it is the difference between the Scandinavian countries and here is that, is that there is planning. Yes. Education and everything is planned for development. Schools don't go to, people don't go to schools to do subjects. They, they go to school to work on projects in which they learn subjects. And those projects require planning and foresight and management and accountability and productivity and the rest of it. That is preparation for development. And so it's a whole package. And, and so when we don't pra practice planning, and you said the micro level, that's where the social and economic council came in, because it meant that you would have community organizations that know the realities of the community and could have an input mm -hmm. into the developmental planning of the and budgeting in the country. Let me, um, I have that, to, I, that was the mm -hmm. idea. Oh, so I, have to, I have to cut it off here because we're, we're really out of time. I want to say thank you to right. both of you gentlemen. Uh, we were joined, of course, by uh, Dr. James Knight. That was the last voice you heard speaking there. He's currently a health consultant in the Ministry of Tourism, of course. He was a former editor of the outlet newspaper uh, and associated, of course, with the uh, Antigua Caribbean Liberation Movement, the ACLM. Um, Mr. Hiram Ford joined us as well. He's um, currently uh, the head of the School of Remind Me, Mr. Ford, so I don't call the wrong thing. <laughs> Business and management at the Five Islands campus. Business and Management at the University of the West Indies Five Islands campus. Uh, thanks to both of you for joining us this afternoon.